um, in addition to the two passages that Gene just read for us, I want to add a third passage. Um, it, it's all in the same sort of uh, idea, and that is Philippians 3, 12 through 14, and then a little bit later down the road, 20 and 21. As you know, this is Paul's um, great uh, sort of testimony and confession. So Philippians 3, 12 through 14, and 20 and 21. And it reads, not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And down a little farther in verse 20, he continues, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Let's pray. Father God, we ask now that you will be with us as we um, hear you speak to us. And uh, Father, it is, it is uh, just an amazing thing to ponder that the God who created the universe speaks to us and calls us by name and loves us and cares for even uh, a single hair on our head. Lord, what, a, what an amazing thought. And Lord, I pray that we will be in wonder and awe as we uh, just give ourselves to your word and ask that your spirit would plant these words deep in our hearts and that it will bear much fruit for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, so, you know, the, the three passages I read, they all have a similar theme, and we'll come back to it. And one of them, uh, we'll come back to them, but I just want to bring it to your attention and all of them talk about sort of this transformation of our body, uh, that one day our bodies will be redeemed, that it will be glorified. Paul in uh, Romans and in Philippians says it a little bit differently in, in the two passages, and John also talks about it. He says, um, John says it this way, uh, Dear friends, now we are the children of God, that's present reality, and what we will be has not yet been made known. Okay, so there's a future, there's a future that is ours that has not been revealed to us, okay? Um, But he does say, but when we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So John, in his own way, talks about this transformation, that we will become like Christ when we finally see him face to face. And there are numerous passages that talk about this. And I want to continue sort of um, this season that we're in. Uh, I'm not... You know, I'm not a person who's, uh, who grew up in a uh, Christian home that followed the liturgical Christian calendar. I don't, I don't think many of us did. Most Koreans have two seasons. It's like Christmas and Easter, right? And then, and then Thanksgiving, which is not in the liturgical calendar. But, you know, so I, this is so, sort of new to me, but I really like it. I like the rhythm and pace and centering our lives around the life of Christ rather than our own sort of uh, things that press upon us, that the immediacies of things and work and all of these things that make us kind of lose sight of the rhythm of life that God has really given us and intends us to live by. Um, so just out of curiosity, and I, I didn't know this, I, 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 even if I read it, I forget it within a week or two, so I constantly have to go back to Google and look at this. But do you know what season we're in, what season of the Christian calendar Do you know what season we just finished? 
Okay, how about this? And I, uh, I, I, hey, I would have been just like you. I would have been, been like, oh, man, I'm the pastor. I should know this, but I have no idea. <laughs> you know? uh, what season are we heading towards? That's another. This is the one we, our church does sort of observe. Lent, right, which I've been calling Advent, I've been told, um, several times, and I didn't notice it until just now. My mind is finally coming back to the rhythm of being here. But, yes, I, I'm still in Advent season on my sabbatical, but... Uh, Lent, we're coming to the season of Lent, followed by Easter, right? Okay, so between Christmas and Epiphany and, and Lent is this, like, six to eight weeks. You know what's called? It's called the ordinary season. <laughs> it's the ordinary season, yay! No. Uh, I have no idea why I even share that with you, other than... It's the ordinary season. It kind of spoke to me. I like it. And, and, and we've been talking about in our little prayers before uh, our worship that, you know, there's something, something I like about ordinary. I, I just, it's nice. And anyways, we're in the ordinary season. Um, all this is simply say, uh, during this ordinary season, before we enter the season of Lent, and I think during the season of Lent, we'll focus in on a specific series sort of preparing ourselves as a community for Resurrection Sunday and for Easter. Um, before we do that, we've sort of had these uh, eight to ten weeks where Jen and I have been sort of sharing just different thoughts and different uh, sermons. And we sort of landed on, uh, not intentionally, but on this theme of transformation and so forth. And what I've done in the last few times that I've preached is I've been sharing with you sort of my journey, things that I've been going through uh, during my sabbatical, things that I've learned, my own struggles, and how God is sort of pulling me out of what I felt like was a, a very deep pit, uh, a deep valley in my spiritual life, and feeling just God sort of bringing me out. And so I want to continue that. I want to continue as long as, uh, long as there's space for it, for me to just reflect on that journey and then use that as a sort of a gateway to talk about what I believe God is, trying to, is, is doing in our community. Um, one of the things that, that I struggled with uh, during, what I struggled with, not just in the past few months, but what I've constantly struggled with in my life, and once again, people who know me well uh, or have actually seen a meltdown. Has anyone ever experienced, has, have any of you experienced me kind of having one of these meltdowns any, by any chance? Okay, Esther, Josh, Jen, okay. It's, fat, it's, it's actually quite a wonderful experience, so, you know. <laughs> If you want to experience one, I'd be glad to provide one for you in the near future. Uh, I have to admit, I, I go on one of these meltdowns every once in a while. And let me just describe to you what this is. A meltdown happens to me when I start to think about uh, the Christian life. Okay? I think of the, um, uh, the Christian life. Uh, I think about all the promises of Jesus in the Gospels. I think of all of the imperatives and the, and the commands in the New Testament, love one another, submit uh, to one another out of reverence for Christ, consider one another's needs above your own, be patient. You know, all of these imperatives about living together in community, about being holy, about sanctification. There should not even be a hint of sexual immorality in the believer. And I, and I start reading all of these things about what the Christian life should be, and then I look at my life, I'm like, oh, this is not it. And, and I just, I get frustrated. And I feel like, I feel like someone who 
watched this wonderfully made infomercial at 3 in the morning, you know, and, and bought this item thinking it was going to solve whatever ills that the infomercial was promising to solve, and I bought into it, but my life, but once the product arrived, it didn't live up to the hype, right? Have you guys ever felt like that about your Christian faith? Maybe you don't want to admit it, but I felt like that. And, there, and, and this may seem inappropriate for the, the pastor to say this, but there are times when I wanted to give up on the entire Christian enterprise. I did, because it just, you know, here's what the Bible presents as what the Christian life should be, and here's my experience of it, and not just my experience, but I look around, I look around people, and like their experience, at least what I think is their experience, doesn't really match up what, the, what, what Jesus says, you know, there should be rivers of life flowing out of you. You know, when was the last time you met a Christian and you're like, wow, there's rivers of life flowing out of that person? When was the last time you met, you met a Christian and said, there's joy, abundant joy flowing out of that person that is just indescribable. There's peace that surpasses understanding. And, and so I, I get in this rut where what, the, what is promised to me and what I'm experiencing doesn't match up, and I have a meltdown. I start going crazy. I start going, like, ah, you know, meltdown, like crazy, crazy meltdown. And it's, it's worse if we're like on vacation, you know, and I did that once. Esther's laughing because, you know, we're on vacation, this nice, wonderful family vacation. We have wonderful plans. We're enjoying this. And all of a sudden, one night, I have this meltdown. Ah, you know, what am I doing here? You know, why am I this way? Why is, you know, no one's a real Christian. This thing all sucks. And you just want to crawl into a hole and, and just give up on everything. Frustration. And I think a lot of us are afraid to feel this way because we're afraid that, you know, that we want to hold on to this faith called this Christian faith as if it was a fragile thing, as if God's grace wasn't strong enough to sustain us through our our doubts and our, and, our, and our frailties and our, you know, wanderings and so forth. Um, but if we're really honest, I mean, that's how many of us feel. Oh, and that's how I feel. And I, I was deeply frustrated. I was deeply frustrated. And, I, and I'm deeply frustrated. And I was deeply frustrated with church life, you know. And, and poor Jen, you know, he has to experience me just venting and, and being frustrated at times. And I would just have one of these meltdowns every once in a while. And then after... after I have a meltdown or breakdown or whatever you want to call it, I feel better. I'm like, all right, well, I go back to normal, just kind of put it out of my mind, just plug away, take one step at a time, okay? So I've been living with this frustration, and I just felt like that that doesn't seem right, right? Can you guys, am I I the only one here? (laughs) Am I the only crazy one here going, you know, this is my Christian experience? If it's Hey, I've seen your life, maybe not as well as you know, but I've seen your life. You should be feeling this way too, some of us, okay? This is the truth, right? This is the truth. So I've been struggling with this, and, and the Lord has been gracious. I mean, he, as he always is. He's been very gracious, and he's been helping me sort of deal with this. And, and I want to talk about that. And I want to do this by way of going back to last week's message, because um, last week's message, uh, Pastor Jim preached, not me. So Pastor Jim's message... Uh, was actually, I, I don't know if you guys caught it, but it, it was a very profound message. I mean, it, it was very simply presented, but, it, you know, last week's message really was the gospel in, in a, just a different way of putting it uh, about our hunger for God. And, and I think one of the things that he emphasized um, 
Yeah, a few weeks ago, this, was, again, this is his message, not mine, okay? So don't, don't come back to me and say, hey, that was a great, great point. I'm just repeating it and putting just a little different light to it. Uh, his, one of his main points was that our actually hungering for God is a sign that God has pursued us and found us, right? The fact that we hunger for God is the sign that God has pursued us and, uh, and found us. And that's really another way of saying that, that we have been born again. Because when we are dead in our sins, when we are dead spiritually, dead in our trespasses, as Ephesians tells us and as Romans tells us, when we are dead spiritually, we have no hunger. We, we don't know how to hunger for things that we have never tasted, right? right? How many of you guys ever hunger for, like, fancy caviar or foie gras? Right? Like, yeah, okay, maybe you, but most of us, most of us, how many of you guys ever have, a, like, a deep, deep craving for fancy Russian caviar? Okay, a few, all right? How many of you have never craved caviar in your life? Okay. How many of you guys have a deep craving for some nice seared foie gras? Okay. How many of you have never craved foie gras in your life? Okay. Well, a lot of times, I've never experienced fancy caviar. And because I've never tasted it, I don't crave it. Okay. Now, I've had foie gras, and I do crave it. It's great. It's delicious. Yeah. Maybe we'll, I get a, we're going to cook it for you some different ways. But anyways, that's neither there nor here. Uh, you can't crave for something you, don't, you haven't tasted, right? Do you guys understand that? I mean, I think what Jen was trying to say is the fact that we hunger for God means that God has awakened our senses, that God has given life to our spiritual senses, which was dead. He's given us the ability to now see and taste that God is good, and so we hunger for him. That, that is the gospel message, right? That's the gospel message. Um. And that the hunger itself is a sign that something radical has, has, uh, has happened in our life. And, and, and it was really nice the way he put it, that it, it was really God who pursued us and found us that creates this hunger. It's really a foundational message about what it means to be a Christian. And I do encourage you guys to, uh, at some time in the near future, go back and listen to it. Because I think you'll, you'll uh, find that it's very... It's very descriptive of what it really means to know and love God. Um, but here's the thing about hunger. Even when I was listening to that message, how many guys can say you really hunger for God? Right? I mean, what I'm saying is, okay, so you hear the message and... and and, and it's true, and, and it resonates, and, and that's why I, I think I resonate so much with it, and I, and I listen to it again, and, and, and that's, the, that's actually a message that I've been really thinking about, the whole area of hungering for God and so forth. But even as I was listening to it, there's that, there's that, that, Jack, that, that Jekyll and Hyde, the, the schizophrenic side of me coming out saying like, but that's not me. You know, where's the hunger in my life? You know, where, why don't I hunger for God? And why am I satisfied with the trivial you know, the junk of this world, you know, so forth. And, and I realized that part of the reasons why my um, hunger isn't satisfied, and we're going to, I, I want to, this will sort of segue into message proper, but is because, you know, one of the things about the hunger for God is it has to be cultivated. It has to be refined. And, and I just want to share with you a couple of things because it just, you know, one of the, the perks of 
being a pastor is I get to you know, comment on sermons previously uh, to everyone. You have to listen. So uh, one of the, here's, here's a couple of thoughts that came to me, and these are some of my experiences. I want to just sort of expound on last week's message about hunger just a little bit because it does tie in with today's message. One of the things that I, we, what I've learned about hungering for God, and, and as I was listening with some of my frustration, is the fact that I don't know how to hunger for God. Like, I don't know how to appreciate God, right? What I mean is this. Uh, um, how many guys read poetry, love poetry? Anyone? Any, any poetry lovers here? Okay, Gene. I am someone that, I, I'm someone that wants to like poetry. I do. I, I really want to like poetry because it's so poetic. You know, <laughs> you know no, I want to love poetry, not because I want to be some like, you know, snobby, you know, fancy, poet-loving person. I, just because, you know why? Because it's something that I feel is beautiful. It's an art form that I truly think is wonderful, and I just don't know how to appreciate it. You know, I, I really believe I don't have the temperament and the disposition to really enjoy poetry. Okay? So, but I, I want to enjoy it. And so, like, you know, I've been trying to read poetry every once in a while. So, I, I, you know, I have these big old poem, poetry books, and I read it, and I read it like a novel. I read it like an instruction manual, like, read it fast. and like, it doesn't even make sense trying to figure it out. And like, I'm, like, speed reading it through, and I'm like, oh, this, I, I can't read into it. So I asked a coworker of mine who is a songwriter. Um, he's a wonderful songwriter. In fact, I, I, I'm going to bring some of his music for our communion one time. And we actually played it one time, but I want you to see it with the lyrics. He's a, he's a wonderful songwriter. He's a poet. And loves poetry. So I've been asking him to teach me how to appreciate poetry. I said, I really want to learn how to read poetry and appreciate poetry. And, and he described poetry in, some, he says poetry is one of the things where you have to chew on it. Like poetry, a good poem, you just sit and chew on it for weeks and months. It's like you unpack it. You look at one word and you look at it from 20 different angles. You know, it doesn't have one meaning that you're trying to figure out. It's like a diamond. You look at it from different angles and it has different you know, fastest that it shows off. And it says a uh, poem is like a, a densely, really superly densely wound, uh, you know, ball of yarn. And it's so dense. But what you do in reading a poem is you, you unpack it and you see these beautiful strings coming alive as it's becoming unpacked. I'm like, oh, that sounds so good. So I went ahead and, and looked up a poem while I was still speed reading. And I'm like, I... so I'm in the process of learning. So here's the thing. I don't have the ability to appreciate poems, poetry. It's not in me. And I can say the same thing with classical music. Like, I want to enjoy classical music. And I do, I do enjoy classical music, but after two minutes, it all sounds the same. And I, I, like, I lose count, right? Like, Esther, you play the piano, right? So can you tell a, when someone's playing the piano and someone like really famous and good and someone who's like taking two years of lessons, you can tell the difference, right? Like for me, after a certain point, they all sound the same, Right? I mean, there's, you know, someone presses a key, it just sounds, I don't have the, the, the palate of the ear to differentiate. And it's that way in all of life, right? Sports. How many guys watch the Super Bowl? How many guys enjoy watching football? Okay. Now, football is fun and we watch it, but what, what do we see when we see football? Most people, and this is myself included, what do we see is we see the quarterback, he hands off the ball and the guy runs. He throws the ball, and he catches, right? And we're like, yeah, 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 that's awesome. But even in football, football is one of the most 
complex, amazing sports there is that's ever been created. The amount of intricate details that goes into the game, in, in terms of like the ability of the cornerback to just read, a, read someone's hip, foot position, the complexity of the offense and defense alignment, how 11 players on each side orchestrate their movements to make one, execute this one play. It is an amazing. And if you knew more about the intricacies of the game, you would appreciate the execution much more, right? Same with art, same with cooking. I mean, if you, you know, when people say, oh, this food needs a little more acid, I'm like, what does that mean? You know, what does that really, really mean when Tom Colicchio says it needs a little more acid? I'm like, it tastes fine to me. I mean, whenever, do you understand what I'm trying to say? It, as part of the reason we are kind of mundane in our faith is we haven't cultivated our, our palate for God. We, we don't know how to taste and enjoy God. Do you guys agree? Nod with me, right? And I want to challenge you. And when you, when you go and listen to last week's message, when you hear about hungering for God, we're not going to be able to experience the joy of being satisfied by God if we don't know how to appreciate and, and taste and understand God. Let me, let me give an, a quick illustration from a story that Jesus tells. So Jesus goes, um, in Luke chapter 7, Jesus goes into uh, a Pharisee's home for dinner. And as a guest of honor, he's reclining and he's sitting there when a woman of ill refute, uh, someone who is known as a sinner, comes into the dinner party, crashes a dinner party, uninvited because the Pharisees don't want to you know, be seen with someone of such bad reputation. Uh, they, um, she comes in with an alabaster jar of perfume, comes, sees Jesus. Un, you know, she had heard that Jesus is coming to this Pharisee's house, comes to Jesus' home, and begins to wipe his feet or wash his feet, begins to soak his feet with her tears, okay? And begins to wipe them with her hair. And then she begins to pour the perfume on Jesus, right? And then the Pharisee says, oh, man, if this man was, if Jesus was really a prophet, he would know what kind of woman that's touching him, that's doing all this, and, and sort of mocking Jesus for being, uh, for receiving this kind of, adoration and love from the sinner. And so Jesus, knowing this, asked a question to Simon. He says, Simon, let me ask you a question. There were two people who owed a certain money lender different amounts of money. The first one owed 500 days, 500 days worth of wages. The other owed 50 days worth of wages. Now the money lender decides to forgive both of their debts, cancel out their debts. And then, and then Jesus says, which one of these two will love the moneylender, will love him more? And Simon answers, well, I suppose the one, who's, one who had the larger debt forgiven would love the moneylender more. And Jesus simply says, those uh, who are forgiven much loves much, but he who is forgiven little loves little, Right? What does that mean? I mean, why was Jesus saying that? You know, what was the point? Was Jesus saying that this woman was much more sinful and therefore had more sins forgiven and therefore loved Jesus more than the Pharisees who had very little sins to be forgiven? But we know from Jesus' rebuke of the Pharisees, that's probably not the case, right? What is the point that Jesus, I think, is making? I think when I read that passage, what always speaks to me is 
this woman had an awareness of her brokenness. And the awareness of the brokenness allows her to experience God's grace much more deeply, right? That's one way we cultivate our appreciation for God, how we taste God, is seeing our own brokenness. Apostle Paul, you know, one of these things that you kind of observe when you read all of Paul's letter is Paul has this remarkable relationship with Jesus Christ. He has this remarkable relationship with God, uh, probably unparalleled in the history of Christianity. And if you read Paul's progression of his spiritual life, you know, there's this, this growing sense of his own sinfulness, even as an apostle of the Gentiles who lives, he is so, he, he in fact boasts about his life, of all the sufferings that he uh, endured on behalf of Christ and the gospel. And yet there's this growing sense on, on the part of Paul of his own sinfulness and of his own wickedness before God. And as he, as he sort of grows in faith, his own awareness of his sinfulness grows. And as, as that awareness grows, the, the love for God grows. The, the, the deeper appreciation for the sacrifice and the resurrection and the cross means more to Paul. And so, so what I'm saying is Paul is growing a palate. He, he, he's growing his ability to love God. He's stretching his ability to enjoy and taste God. And, and, and that's what I want to challenge us to. I, I think for us, we are so satisfied with so little of God in our lives. We are so satisfied with the shallows of God. You know, we know we're sinners, but, you know, we don't. When was the last time we really racked ourselves because of our wickedness and, and, and saw the, the magnitude of, of God's grace in the cross and the resurrection, right? These things don't naturally, uh, they aren't natural to us. And, and we are like the person who is only forgiven little and loves little. You know, the depth of our faith is shallow and our hunger is shallow. And so one of the things that I want to challenge us is we need to cultivate our palate, our spiritual palate for God. We have to know how to appreciate God. We ha- just like we need to grow ourselves and in, to appreciate the better things in life, you know, uh, until, you know, you're not going to just go ahead and appreciate art without really getting into it and learning about it. And, and the same with all the good things in life. Every good thing in life that's worth enjoying is worth the effort to enjoy more, right? It really is. It is worth the effort. And how much infinitely more is God worth the effort to really grow our, our hunger for him, uh, cultivate our palate, ability to sense and taste God for what he's doing. And, uh, and, and, we are, and we are so just satisfied with so little of God in our life that I want to push us and challenge us to do that. And which leads me to today's message is, um, so is this frustration, is this sense of frustration. Yes, I said this, the message is starting now. <laughs> She's going like, wow, the <laughs> sermon is just starting. Um, but it's, it's, a, I, I, it's a simple point because it's sort of the same point. So when I, feel, when I feel this way about hungering for God, how my palate is not able to really appreciate the things of God and really see God and enjoy God, and when I feel like my Christian life is really just a charade, that it's not, it's not what it should be. I get frustrated. So, you know, I get in this quandary, and, and what the Lord has been gracious to, to remind me of is that frustration is okay, all right? Um, frustration is okay because Christian life and this is, this is the point I want to share with. The Christian life is not the end all. The Christian life is a journey. It's a process. It's a, it's, it's, it's a journey. It is not the destination. It is a journey. And 
This is something that was very liberating for me, and I want to just unpack that slightly for you. I, I've included a quote. Um, I, know, I don't know how many guys actually read the little blurbs in your bulletin. How, how many guys read the blurb in the bulletin? Okay, oh, few of you do. So I, I want to read this quote to you guys, and I, and I included it in here because this really captures what I want to say. In fact, if you forget everything I say and just remember this quote, I will be perfectly satisfied, okay? Um, this is a quote by Martin Luther, the, the great reformer, the Protestant reformer, okay? Let me read it to you, and you guys can kind of read along with me in, in your mind as, uh, uh, looking at this wonderful, wonderful observation. This life, I'm talking about the Christian life, this life, therefore, is not righteousness. Now, look at me for a moment. You know, that's liberating, Right? It was liberating for me because I'm like, my life is not righteousness. I'm like, my life is like, is way down here. Like, God, I am not where I want to be, where I'm not where I should be. I feel miserable. I feel like a failure in my Christian life. And Martin Luther says, this life, therefore, is not righteousness, but growth in righteousness. Hear me say this. This is liberating. This is, this is what has set me free and hopefully from having another meltdown in the new future. Life is not righteousness. It is growth in righteousness. Not health, but healing. Not being, but becoming. Not rest, but exercise. We are not yet what we shall be. Just pause for a moment. This, that's a summary of the three passages that I read to you today. That's a summary of the three passages I read to you today. We are not yet what we shall be, but we are growing toward it. The process is not yet finished, but it is going on. This is not the end, but it is the road. All does not yet gleam in glory, but all is being purified. What was liberating to me in this journey from coming out of the valley is this recognition that I am not what I, I, I will one day be. That I am not who I was called to be yet. I am on the way. It is a journey. It is a progress. It is a process. We were redeemed for glory. When Christ gave his life for us, and, and when I say us, I, and I really mean it, I don't mean just individually. I know Christ died for my sins, but he died for, for a community, a people that he could call his own, his body. When Christ died to redeem his people, when he died to redeem his people and he rose again and, 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 and you know, uh, conquered death, when he died for our sins and conquered death and rose again, he redeemed us. But for what purpose did he redeem us? He redeemed us to, to, to glorify us. In, in some sense, he redeemed us so that one day we will be like him. Okay? That's our end destiny. Our end destiny is to be like Jesus in glory. Okay? Look with me real quick to Romans 8 again. All right? It says, I consider our present suffering are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Future tense, that will be revealed in us okay um we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time not only so but we ourselves who are the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship 
the redemption of our bodies. For this hope we were saved. Okay? God created us for glory. He created us for glory. Apostle John says it the same way. We are, what we will be has not yet been revealed. We are now the children of God. We are at this very moment God's children. But what we will be has not yet been revealed. For when we see Christ, when he appears, we shall be like him. Okay? What I mean is this. Do you know the end destination, the end destiny of your journey as a Christian? This is a little bit, you know why this is a little bit hard? And this is hard for me because it took me hours just processing this in my mind. And I'm still not even, I'm just beginning on this journey. I, I, I was praying, Lord, I'm going to be saying something that I don't even fully like have it really deep in my spirit yet. But I, I want to share with you because I want you to go on this journey. What is fascinating about Paul's life is this. When was the last time as a Christian... And I'm just going to make the assumption we're all Christians. When was the last time as a Christian you thought about the redemption of your bodies? The transformation of our lowly bodies into a glorious spiritual body like Jesus's. When was the last time you said, you know, when life is hard, when times are difficult, when I'm suffering, you know what keeps me going? It's this hope that one day my body will be redeemed. Now, I know we talk about becoming like Christ-like, right? You guys have all one day, hopefully you have all daydreamed of being like Christ, right? When you, when you hate that person that you're supposed to love and you can't, you can't make yourself love this person as much as you're trying, you're like, oh, I wish I could be like Jesus and just love my enemies. Now, those are the moments when I feel like, God, I can't wait till I'm like fully Christ-like where I can really love other people. But when was the last time you talked about the redemption of your body, the transform, of, of, transformation of your body? You know what's fascinating about the Apostle Paul? He's obsessed with this. He talks about it a lot. In fact, he says, this is the hope to which you were saved. This is the hope in which we were saved. Apostle Paul, he, he was, he's different than us in that he thinks about this glorification of the body, this redemption of the body, this transformation of the body. In 1 Corinthians, he, he goes on a, a longer exposition about what it means for our, for our mortal bodies to be uh, clothed with immortality, that we will be transformed, right? And, and, and the reason that I'm losing, like, you guys are, like, going to la-la land is because we don't think like this. It's like, I don't care. I, I've never thought about that, and it doesn't excite me. But you know what? That's the hope of the Christian faith, which, which drove Paul in all of his life. And yet, in the 21st century, in the, in the Christian church, we, we rarely even think about it or talk about it. I find that fascinating. And, and for me, uh, this is something that I've been really, uh, really sort of disciplining myself to meditate on more and read, read more up on. And uh, I want to show you a couple of implications of this, okay? So, um, what is Paul saying? Why, why, is Paul, why is this so important for Paul, this redemption of our bodies, this transformation of our body from what it is into a glorious body like Jesus? Why is that so important for Paul? Well, it's important for a couple of reasons. One is because what is, Paul's, what is the end destination for Paul in Philippians? Right? 
What, what, is Paul, what is Paul's greatest desire? I want to know Christ, right? I want to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing his suffering. He wants to know Christ. He, his, his end destiny, you know, all of his life is aiming towards what? Is this deep, intimate knowledge of Christ, of being in union with Christ, is, is being in the glory of Christ, uh, is seeing Christ for who he is face to face. This is Paul's end destiny, okay? What is his experience in this life now? Okay, <laughs> eyes are glazing. Paul, Paul, the reason I'm comforted by Paul is I believe Paul had meltdowns like me in some ways, okay? Because of what he's yearning for and what his experience was different. And so what is, what is he yearning for? He wants to know Christ in the fullness of his glory. He get, he get, he's gotten glimpses of Christ and says, says I want to know Christ in the fullness of his glory and the fullness of his suffering and the fullness of his resurrection I, wanna, I, want, I want all of God. But here's the thing. Have you ever tried to pour large amounts of liquid into a tiny little cup? It can't hold it, right? So what Paul is saying, the frustration of Paul is saying, he, what he's saying is this. In this mortal body, in, in this, and, and, and I'm very careful not to, to make us feel like this body is an evil thing, okay? It, it's, it's, it's fallen, but it's not evil. The material world is not evil. And I, I really need to say this because we can easily sort of get in our heads. I'm not, I'm not going to go there because all this words about disembodied spirituality, it's not going to mean much to you now. But I do want to talk about this later on. But just f- come with me. Come with me on this journey. I know. I'm trying hard to convey what's in my heart. And, and I, trust me, it was just painful writing it. And it's even more painful telling it now. <laughs> Paul is saying, I want all of God. But in this unre- in this broken mortal body i can't have all of god does that do you guys understand we don't have the capacity to enjoy all of god in this current state of being so what do we do we get glimpses of god we get foretastes we get little bites of god we get little bites of the glory of god we get little bites of what it means to worship god have you ever gotten lost in worship ever in your life where it's just you're like just teleported to another time. I mean, just you're, you're so lost in worshiping God, right? How many of you guys ever experienced that? Right? How long did it last? Like two minutes? And then someone sings off-key next to you, and it's like, oh, God, it's ruined, right? Right? I mean, yes? Or, or, or a sudden random thought pops up about, oh, my God, I think I forgot to turn the stove off at home. And that moment's lost. I mean... This temp- this compa- this, our bodies, our, our, our current state of being does not have the capacity to enjoy God fully. What is the promise of God? What is the hope to which Romans 8 is talking about? What is the hope to which we were saved for? The hope is this. Just, just hear me. The hope, the hope to which we're saved, our destination, is that one day God will give all of himself to us. Okay? God will be in our midst. God will give all of himself to us. And here's the important piece. We will be transformed. Our our broken bodies, our mortal bodies will be transformed, redeemed, so that we have the capacity to enjoy all of God. Do you guys understand? No? This is the hope of the Christian faith. Is 
having all of God and the capacity to enjoy all of God. That's our destiny. You know why we get frustrated? Because that's not my experience right now. And God's telling me that's okay. Because that frustration, what it should do is create more yearning. It creates a yearning for me when I can finally say, I got a taste of it and it was so good, but I can't even handle more than that little taste. And I can't wait, oh God, when, when I will have, when, when I will be transformed in, in glory to your likeness, that I may enjoy all of you fully for all eternity. That's the hope. And that's what fueled Paul. But it's one of those things that's so foreign to us in the way that our faith is driven that we don't know how to think like that. We don't know how to live life that, like that. And so we get caught in the shallows. And our hope is very, our hope is a, a, a very uh, impoverished version of the kind of hope that the early church and, and Paul thrived upon. Imagine you have the world's greatest masterpiece of art right in front of you. I mean, it's one of those things where if you see it, like you cry and weep and, and you, you just get blown away because it's such a beautiful work of art, right? And it's right there in front of you, this beautiful. And yet you have the worst vision and you can't see it. It's all cloudy, right? First Corinthians 13, right? We see dimly as in a mirror, and it's, it's just static. And so every once in a while, though, you get really close, and you strain, and you, and you see a little bit of it, and that's that little bit of that masterpiece you see just wows you. But you're frustrated because you want more of that. And what the Bible says, our hope is, that one day we will be able to see all of it. Amen? That's the hope. That one day we will be able to not only hunger after God, but be satisfied by God fully. But we're not there yet. This life is a journey. So I want to end with these just couple of thoughts, just real quick. Um, what should be our mindset? What is our mindset? Well, let me share this with you. So what is faith? Faith is a vision of God that is so captivating that we are driven by that vision to give all of our lives for it. Okay? What is faith? And another way of putting it. Faith is a vision of God. It's a glimpse of God. It's, it's a taste of God. So captivating that we are driven by that glimpse, that vision, to give our entire life for it. Okay? What is hope? Hope is a promise that one day we actually will see God face-to-face, right? That we will see God face-to-face and that, that, that all of our deepest yearnings and longings will be satisfied God in an infinitely greater way than we can imagine right now, as, as John tells us, okay? That we will be redeemed and that we will, our bodies will be transformed and that we will be able to have the capacity to enjoy the fullness of God and all of his glory, Romans 8, 24, for in this hope we were saved. It is this hope that we were saved, okay? <clears throat> so I, I'm going to unpack this down the road a few more times because uh, I, I just, it's, it's, it's a foreign thought to many of us, and I do want to unpack it. But here's some parting thoughts, just little quick sentences. Um, frustration is a good thing, then, in this life, right? It's a good thing, and, it, and it's to be expected, 
because it, it should fuel our hope, right? Frustration should, frustration is like, you know, it's like the, having that bad side in front of the masterpiece, and, but one day you're going to have your eyesight restored. It's like we're, we're stuck, in, you know, it's like you want to eat more, but you can't eat anymore kind of a feeling, and one day God's going to give us, I don't know, that's a bad analogy, but uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, sometimes you want to eat more, but you can't eat more. That's, yeah, that's not exactly the best thing, but that it really is because here's the thing, you know, a little bit of God, tiny little bit of God is all we can handle right now. Did you know that? Right? I mean, it's not like we have, so it's like there's this hope that one day we're going to enjoy God fully, okay? So frustration is a good thing if it makes us yearn for God more, if it makes us understand that our life is a progress, that there's a destination that we haven't arrived yet, that there is a place. Read the Martin Luther uh, line. He says it much better than I do, okay? Number two, uh, cultivate your understanding and imagination of what it is that we hope for. What is our hope? Hope is, hope is one of the most, I think, um, underappreciated and misunderstood or misapplied aspect of Christian life in the 21st century. I think, I don't want to say the most. I tend to speak in sort of these extremes and hyperboles, but it really is because we talk about faith a lot. We talk about love a lot, but let me say, what is, what is the hope that fuels your faith? You know, what is the hope that drove Paul and and, and the early, you know, what do we say? What is our hope? I don't know. Heaven? Heaven? Because you know why that's not a real hope? Because most people, most people don't even know how to think about heaven. I was driving home this week, and I was listening to a sermon. You know what the title of the sermon is? Heaven is not boring. That was the, that was the, that was the message. And, and his points were, I know, I, why my, his points were, heaven is not boring because God's not boring. <laughs> Amen. Heaven's not going to be boring because we're not boring. <laughs> heaven's not going to be boring because our mission is not boring. And I forget the fourth one. <laughs> it was pretty, actually, the fourth one I think was the best one. It's the only one that I go like, yeah, that's actually true. But I can't remember it. Uh, do, you know why, do you know why that pastor was preaching a sermon called Heaven's Not Boring? Can you guess? Because he probably thinks heaven's boring. Or he's worried, at least if he's not thinking heaven's boring, at least some people in the audience think heaven is boring. <laughs> you know, right? I mean, really, worshiping God for eternity, it's like you're thinking it's going to be a bad praise session set for, like, eternity. Like, we're going to sing the same songs over and over and over with no break. You know, holy, holy, for the millionth time. We're seeing, and it was just like, oh, my goodness. You know, people have this perception of heaven. And so here's the thing. Um, that's, not, that's, not, that's not Paul's hope. Our, our imagination, our hope, our understanding of hope, Christian hope, and imagination of Christian hope for, the, for what is God saved us for is paltry. It is so lacking. It, it is... This, it is so lacking that it, it doesn't sustain us. It doesn't fuel us, right? So my challenge to you is cultivate your understanding of what Christian hope is and your imagination of, of what it is that God has called us for, okay? The third thing is Christian life is about moving forward. Apostle Paul says it's training forward. When you haven't arrived yet, the most important thing is not about whether you're a good Christian or not because we're never going to get there, right? You're never going to live the perfect life. You're never going to be that perfect Christian, 
You know, all of these commands in the Bible that Paul says we ought to do, you know, consider others' needs before your own. When's the last time you consider someone's needs before your own? Rarely. I try, but it doesn't come easily for me. You know, we're not where we ought to be, but we've got to be moving forward. Christian life is about progress. It's about progress. Sometimes an inch in sanctification is going to take years at times. Do you hear what I'm saying? Sometimes for God to squeeze an ounce of patience in us, it may take a year or two. I was talking to someone. Married for some time. I'm going to try to make it ambiguous so you guys can figure out who it is. Married for a few years and said, you know what I've learned through my marriage? I've become so much more patient. Seven, eight years of married life to develop patience. Sometimes it takes a long time to make a small progress. Okay? But it's about progress. It's not about getting there. It's not about being the most patient guy. It's not about, you know, you know what I'm saying? It's not about being a perfect Christian. It's not saying, like, I never curse. My mouth is pure, oh God. It's not saying, you know, I've never looked at a woman with lust in my eyes. Oh, I, I, my eyes are pure, oh God, like Job or something. You know, no. It's about growing in sanctification. You know, is, is letting our words be changed. So the biggest thing is, is do you see growth? Is there, is, there a behind, is there a past that you see that you can say there is something, even if it's an inch? And some of you, listen to me, some of you, some of us, it's going to take years and years for God to do one small thing in our life, but that's progress. We're, we're, we're moving towards progress. So understanding life as a journey means that we are always moving forward. That's, that's the more important part, is where are we headed, the hope to which we're living for, trajectory and progress. Okay, those are the two most important things about Christian life. Not so much how you're actually doing. And the last thing is, um, when you talk about the Christian faith, when you invite people to the Christian faith, which is another thing that many of us have really gotten out of habit, when we, about really talking about the Christian faith. When you, when, you know, if Eunice is an unbeliever and I want to invite her to come to church, what we are doing is, not, we're not saying, listen, man, the Christian life is the best thing. It's the best thing in the world. It's not. Okay. Listen, if you're trying to convince someone to join the Christian world, Christian life, because it's the best thing, that's not how Jesus did it. Jesus said, you'll have persecution, you'll have troubles, you know, but you'll also have joy. You know, what is it that when we invite people to join is we say, hey, come on a journey with us and let me point you toward the destination. That's how you invite people into the Christian faith. It's not about saying, hey, if you're a Christian, you won't get backaches. If you're a Christian, your bank account will overflow with money. I mean, that's just the wrong way to think about life. The way to invite people is for you to have this hope that's amazing, a destination that is amazing. You're you're saying, hey, folks, look where I'm going. This is my destination. Come join me because this place is awesome. I know right here doesn't quite feel like it at times. It may not be the best thing, but we're headed there. And this path is the only way there. And if you join me, when we get there, it's going to be amazing. And everything in your life points towards that, right?
Last statement. Imagine you're deaf. Never heard a sound in your life. Don't even know what a sound is. Because you've never heard it. You're completely deaf. There's a new surgery that's been developed that can fully restore your hearing. Okay? You're signed up for the surgery six months from now. And in six months, you will hear. You don't know what sound is. You never heard music. You never heard a cry. You don't know the beauty of, 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 of poetry, of song, music. But in six months, you'll all get to hear it. How are you going to live those six months leading up to that surgery? How would you live those six months leading up to that surgery? Just think for a moment. If that was me, and I can't imagine, you know what I would, I, I, I would do is I would start, I, I would probably buy the biggest sound system in the world. I would save up all my money, and I would, I would buy the biggest sound system. I would read online to see what the best songs and music is, buy the CDs. I'd buy a nice couch, buy the best headsets if I could, or whatever, speakers. I would get, you know, I would save up my money to buy, uh, you know, season tickets to the Philharmonic, to the concert. I would get all my friends ready to just have a party, to hear. I get the unlimited talk plan, whatever it is. I, I just, I'd be just, I'd be getting ready. Let me read you 1 John 3. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are the children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And I want to leave you with this final verse, 4. All who have this hope in him, purify themselves just as he is pure. Let's pray. Father God, um, you know, I, just, I feel like what was communicated was woefully inadequate in, in my own abilities and, um, to communicate. But, but Lord, what, what, what I know in my heart and what your word teaches us is that we are people that live by hope. And Father, we confess to you that our hope for what has been promised to us, where our destination is, has been paltry. Our hungers and our palate for you are weak. Lord, I pray that you would revive in us um, a sense of a magnificent hope of our destination. What is it that we're really living for? And help us, help us to live life fueled by that hope and that reality. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.